Chapter 44 Link could vaguely remember a Garuda woman trying to get him to ride a sand seal a hundred years ago, when he'd first visited the desert with Zelda. He'd refused her at the time. He now knew that was the right choice. As the seal barked and dove through the sand, it was all he could do to stay upright on the sled, even with the rope tethering him to it. The seal swam through the sand, with an irregular undulating movement, occasionally leaping above the sand and then back down which only jerked the sled under his feet. Cursing, he held tightly to the reins, resetting his stance and glaring at the animal, which seemed perfectly happy to keep moving, at its infuriatingly inconsistent rate. All around him, sand passed by in a blur. Ronson had been true to her word. After the storm passed, Link went back to his space at the inn, which was little more than a bed set into the wall with a curtain covering the opening for privacy. The next morning, Ronson came and found him, taking him to a seal that lounged in the sands just outside of the bazaar. After giving him some simple pointers, she pointed Link southeast, the direction that the divine beast had last been seen, and sent him on his way. He reached up, wiping some of the sand away from the goggles that he'd purchased from one of the traders of the bazaar. It, with the scarf around his mouth and nose, helped to keep the sand from irritating him quite as much, though it provided little relief from the sun. By mid-morning, the sun had already begun to bake the land. Now, in the middle of the afternoon, Link felt as though he were back on Death Mountain. The worst part was that he feared that he was acting just as rashly now as he had when he tried to raid the castle. He had an idea of what Naboris's defense mechanisms were, of course, but had no idea how to get past them. He just hoped that somehow he would be able to figure them out. Perhaps seeing it would spark a memory. If nothing else, then this would be a scouting trip. He couldn't just keep begging the guards at the city entrances to help him. Now would be a great time to start talking to me again, Zelda, he muttered. If anyone knew how to get past it, it would almost certainly be her. In the distance, he could see the hazy beginnings of a sandstorm. He was getting closer. Grimacing, he pulled down his scarf and took a drink of water. There was a small barrel of water tied to the sled, so he hoped he would be able to sustain himself on this trip. He had yet to come across the Sheikah Shrine, so the only real way to get back would be the same way he came, unless he wanted to teleport somewhere else entirely. He would prefer it didn't come to that. It had taken him far too long to get to the desert in the first place. The further he got out of Gerudo Town and civilization, the stranger and more alien the desert became. He saw oddly shaped rocks and huge sinkholes, strange plants, and even stranger creatures. On one of his rest stops, he was even attacked by strange green worms with mandibles that emerged from the sands. His sword made quick work of them, but when more emerged, he opted to just get back on the sled and keep moving. Now, as he neared the place that the Sheikah Slate listed as the East Barrens, he began to see the remnants of ancient structures. He passed by a broken archway, most of its hard angles weathered smooth by the ages. Another structure looked like it might have once been some kind of temple, 
though it too was barely recognizable, outside of what might have once been a statue of a person at its front. The air grew hazier, the deeper Link got, and the wind began to pick up as well. He could see the sandstorm's front now, a massive cyclone of sand and debris, occasionally lit up from within by bolts of lightning. At the center was a hulking figure, walking about on four long legs. He pushed his sand seal on, leaning into the wind as it began to buffet him. His visibility began to drop, and blowing sand stung an exposed flesh on his face and hands. The wall of sand grew larger, and larger. In a shockingly short time, the sandstorm towered over him, and stretched to either side. Lightning crackled through the air and thunder rumbled behind it. Gouts of sand and stone erupted from where it struck, deep in the depths of the storm. He caught another glimpse of the divine beast, standing tall and majestic within the storm's heart. It was the tallest of any of the divine beasts, for what Link could tell, with four segmented legs, each glowing with red light along its length. Vaguely shaped like a desert camel, it had two protrusions rising up from its back like a camel's humps, and a long neck ending in a wide, flat head. As Link watched, lightning began to form in a sparking ball of light between the two humps, and then suddenly it forked out, slamming into an old structure surprisingly close to him. The structure shattered as if it was struck by a Goron's hammer, and the sound of the explosion left him dazed. His sand seal barked in terror and tried to turn to the side, away from the source of the light and sound. With a sigh, he let it, though he turned his head to watch the divine beast within its storm. Already another bolt of lightning gathered between its humps, and it struck a moment later, again seemingly in his direction, though this one landed somewhat further than the previous one. The warning seemed clear to him. The sandstorm he could likely withstand. However, he wouldn't be able to get close without some way to counter the lightning. Back so soon, Ronson asked him, as Link walked up to her stand on the outskirts of the bazaar. He gave her a tired smile. It was the next day and the sun was already well past midday. He'd been forced to spend an uncomfortable night in the desert, the East Barrens were not close enough to go there and back in a single day. Though the Sand Seals had surprisingly strong endurance considering the amount of flopping about they did, even they needed to rest at some point, as did he. Standing all day on the sled had left his legs and back sore. To make matters worse, his water had run out several hours prior. He hadn't apparently rationed it as well as he thought. Thankfully, the bazaar had barrels of water placed in various locations, and he nearly gorged himself on one when he first arrived. I don't suppose you've managed to solve all of your problems, Ronson asked after looking at him for a few moments. No, but this was just about scouting it out, he said, eyeing some of her wares. Ronson had set out a variety of examples of her work. Not only did she have some finished garments, each made with the gauzy near sheer Gerudo fabric, but she also set out several other bolts of fabric, featuring different colors or patterns. Do you have a plan? Link pursed his lips and shook his head. Despite spending the entire trip back thinking about it, he had been unable to come up with anything to get him past the lightning. That wasn't his only challenge, either. He also had to figure out a way to climb those legs. He'd briefly thought to use Meadow again, 
but the sandstorm would make it impossible for him to steer his paraglider. He'd also be far too exposed. There was silence for a few moments before he asked, Are you having much luck selling anything? Ronson sighed. Say a ten. No. She reached out, picking up one of the garments and inspecting it critically. I moved out to the bazaar to try to distinguish myself from the tailors within Grudo Town, but most still seem to prefer going there for their clothing needs. What about men? They can't get clothes from the city, right? She raised her eyebrows and looked at him. Does it look as though I make many clothes for Vaux? Fair point. It isn't that I am unable to make Vaux clothing, but most Vaux do not travel to the bazaar with the intent on purchasing clothing. Ronson sighed, shaking her head. Most of them are either merchants, who only buy and sell with established business partners, or they are here for other reasons. For some reason, Ronson scowled even deeper at this, tapping one of her long nails on the wooden table that held her wares. Yet, regardless of the reason they came to the desert, few of them ever pay me any heed. I don't know why you wouldn't be able to find buyers, Link said, picking up one of the garments on the table. It was a green top that, like most Gerudo outfits, would only cover the breasts while leaving a woman's shoulders and midriff exposed. Why are you interested in buying something? Ronson asked, smirking. I think that would look quite good on you. Link flushed and set the top down. N no, I... I never guessed you would look so good in that. If only the princess could see you now. He paused as Urbosa's voice suddenly remembered, flashed through his mind. It was followed by images, sensations, and feelings. Frustration, embarrassment, and determination. Memory bloomed in his head. Link stood outside one of the side entrances of Gerudo Town, leaning against the wall. The two guards watched him with amusement, likely thinking him foolish to wait so long. Still, what other choice did he have? It was either wait here, or sit in his tent. There wasn't much for a royal knight to do when his princess was holed up in a city where men weren't allowed. That thought sent a shiver down his spine. What was the princess doing now? Was she safe? He'd heard some disconcerting rumors as of late. Unknown figures stalking about in the night. Members of the Yiga clan. It was likely nothing, yet. Despite the difficulties he had with his charge, he disliked being away from her for so long. He supposed she was likely safe within the walls of Garuda Town, but as she refused any of his requests to see or speak with her, he didn't actually know. She refused to even tell him when she was going to see the Divine Beast with Herbosa. He sighed. The woman was maddening. Why were they so unable to come to a common ground? He didn't expect her to like him, but to treat him like this, he just didn't know what to do anymore. Maybe he should just leave. Go back to the king and request that he assign a different knight, for she clearly would have nothing to do with him. Did he have that right as the bearer of the Master Sword? Didn't he have more important things to do than sit outside of Garuda Town while the princess played keep-away? What would my father say? He wondered morosely. He served the royal family for years and years. He only retired now to take care of Arl, and because I was able to carry on his legacy. Giving up now would be like a slap in the face for his father, 
Yet what was he supposed to do? How much longer could he really keep up like this? She told him to stop following her. Could he just... obey? The guards near the entrance to the city gasped and stood up straighter as a tall figure emerged. Urbosa, wearing her golden crown and champion's garment, which had been made into a skirt, stepped out, looking around and spotting Link. She smirked. Sav Seba, Link. Still causing my guards trouble, I see. Link flushed. He wasn't causing trouble. He just asked them to inform Urbosa that he would like a meeting, and then refused to leave until one of them at least delivered the message. It had only taken a couple hours. He was quite used to waiting around for hours. Urbosa considered him for a few moments and then raised an eyebrow. Well, you asked me to meet you. What can I do for you? Link glanced toward the guards, who were listening keenly while trying not to look like they were. He glanced at Urbosa, wondering how much he could ask of the woman. They were, in a strange way, equals as champions. However, she was also the leader of her people, equal in rank to someone like the king of the Zora. Could we... speak in private? Urbosa considered and then glanced back towards her guards. Inside. Lady Urbosa, the entrance, one of them started. I think I'm more than capable of preventing Evo from entering the city. Remain close by, and I'll get you after my conference is finished. For a moment the two Gerudo hesitated, and then they both saluted Urbosa before disappearing into the city. I thought that we could just walk further away, Link said. It's good to keep them on their toes from time to time, Urbosa said, smirking. She walked over to the wall, leaning against it, and crossed her arms over her chest. Now, what is it? Link fixed his eyes on a dark patch on the sandstone wall, wondering how to put this. It was embarrassing to even bring it up with her, yet. Can you make an exception and allow me into the city? Urbosa raised an eyebrow in silence and then shook her head. Of course not. No vo are allowed within Gerudo Town's walls. Then how am I supposed to keep the princess safe? She tilted her head. You must know that the princess is quite safe within my walls. My guards are the best that the Gerudo can offer, not to mention that I am often with her myself. It's not... He reached up, rubbing his forehead. The king gave this task to me. I know she isn't pleased with it, but I am still her knight. Yet since arriving here, she has refused even to tell me when she is leaving the city walls. Ah. Yes, I had wondered why you have not accompanied us on our research trips to Ninaboris. She pursed her lips. Actually, she assured me that the two of you were in agreement that your presence was unnecessary during them. His heart sank. I would be more comfortable if I could at least make sure she was safe with my own eyes. Is that genuine concern I hear in your voice? She gave a small smile. From the way she speaks, one would assume you do not care at all. He flushed deeply. It's my duty to keep her safe. I made an oath. Spoken like a knight in the truest of senses. Urbosa reached up, twirling one of her long red locks in a finger, thinking. I could probably help make sure you know where we're going to be, and when we leave. She would be very angry at me for doing so, but I am no stranger to the wrath of teenage girls. He nodded, feeling a small bit of relief. It was something. She continued to watch him, 
her eyes seemingly taking in his appearance from head to toe. He shifted his weight uncomfortably. Why was she looking at him like that? Tell me, Urbosa pushed from the wall, taking a step closer to him. She was still looking at him with narrowed eye. She tapped her lip thoughtfully. How much body hair do you have? What? He took a step back from her, alarmed. She lifted her angular face to the sky, laughing throatily. Oh, just answer the question. So shy. Do you have a great deal of chest hair? He looked at her, feeling utterly bewildered by the line of questioning. I... No, I don't. Then I have another idea. She had a very mischievous glint in her eyes. I think there may be another way we can get you into the city, while still maintaining the rule forbidding Vo. Link looked at her, feeling suddenly anxious. He wasn't sure that he liked where this was going at all. Link? Ronson said, looking at him curiously. Link blinked himself back to the current time as the memory, and others that followed it dispelled. He felt his back break out in a cold sweat as he remembered Urbosa's suggestion. But it worked, didn't it? He glanced over at Ronson and wondered just how she would react to the request. Would she be willing to help him? If not, he wouldn't be in any different situation than he was already in. I need to buy some clothing off of you, he said, keeping his voice low, lest others hear. Ronson raised one eyebrow. I already told you that I don't usually make vo clothing. I could likely put something together for you, but you would have to give me some time. Besides, the fabrics I use tend to be more favored by Vi. No, it's not... He sighed, reaching out and picking up the green top again. It looked like it would be the right size and fit. He would have to pad it some, but he thought it would work. What do you think would go well with this? Link would assume that this could be counted among the worst ideas he'd ever had, if not for the fact that it wasn't even his idea to begin with. As he looked at his own appearance in Ronson's small mirror, however, he had to admit that he thought the illusion might actually work. It was a very grudging admission. A blue shawl covered most of his hair, save for his bangs, which had been brushed and styled with wax. A matching veil hid the bottom half of his face, while some light makeup had been applied around his eyes. Similar fabric covered most of his arms as well, with the exception of his bared shoulders. With the green midriff exposed blouse and puffy purple pants that only stretched to his knees, the effect was... something, at least. Ronson walked a slow circle around him, tapping her chin thoughtfully. Then she walked over to a small chest of drawers, removing a few items of jewelry, bangles, and cuffs. She walked back over to him and placed the jewelry over his neck and arms before stepping back. Finally, she smirked. You make a very cute Vi. He felt his face grow red and she laughed. Even more so when you blush. This is just... Link began. You need to do something about your voice, though. It is already higher in pitch than most Vo I know, true. But a little higher would help. Link snapped his mouth shut, scowling. He wondered if this was more or less humiliating now than it had been a hundred years ago. Likely around the same. Then again, Urbosa had been the one to do this last time. I'm going to save Hyrule, he told himself. 
He told himself that repeatedly. It is good you are so slender. I don't think some of the other Vo I've seen would be able to make this work. Ronson walked back around him, pausing as she looked at him from behind. If it weren't for the scars, I might have even doubted your proficiency as a warrior. He'd worried about the scars at first, but she assured him that they would not be a cause for concern. The Gerudo were a race full of warriors, and they were not unfamiliar or bothered by scarred flesh. Still, though, he thought that it must be abnormal to see a Hylian woman with so many scars. Now, say something, she said, stepping back and crossing her arms. Ling cleared his throat, looking back at her. Finally, he sighed and said in a high-pitched falsetto, How is this? No, that was painful. How about now? Do your Hylian Vi really sound like that? She asked, eyebrows raised. He hesitated, thinking. Finally, he tried again, this time adopting more of a softer tone. that wasn't as high-pitched. He even attempted to add a bit of Zelda's refined accent into it. Ronson nodded. Better, though it would probably be better if you don't talk much. Link relaxed some and turned to face her. He reached up and pulled the veil down. Why are you helping me with this? If this is traced back to you somehow. She shrugged. It is not uncommon for Evai to try to sneak Evo into the city. This is somewhat different, true, but the punishments for such things are rarely severe. The teasing is usually enough to ensure someone doesn't try it again. But why risk it for me? We only met yesterday. Because if you are telling the truth, then now is not the time to worry about ancient tradition. If Lady Riju knows a way to get you into the Divine Beast, then it will be for the best. She paused, considering. However, please do not tell anyone else about this. If this gets out, then other Vo will likely start coming to me for via tire. This is not the kind of attention I am looking for from Vo. Link smiled. Well, thanks. Hopefully this works. He reached down and picked up the Master Sword, which had likewise been disguised. He'd been able to pick up a worn leather sheath from the market and wrap the hilts in crossguard and cloth. It wasn't much of a disguise. The Master Sword's hilt had a fairly distinctive shape that was difficult to hide, but he didn't dare let the sword out of his sight. Oh, I think I will, Ronson said, still smirking. She was enjoying this far too much. He gave her a flat look and then replaced his veil. He strapped on a small pack at his waist, where he hid the Sheikah slate. That would be a dead giveaway of his identity if it was seen, and then exited her house. The day had grown late, but the sun was still visible over distant sands to the west. Some of the shop owners had already begun to pack up their wares, though others still remained open despite the lack of shoppers. A few new people appeared to have arrived, a number of men that had set up a large tent near the water, rather than staying in the inn. One of them eyed him as he passed, though it was not with suspicion as Link first worried. No, the man had a much more interested expression. Grimacing beneath his veil, Link walked faster, the thin slippers on his feet kicking up a great deal of sand as he did so. He made his way to the sand seal that he'd ridden earlier, hooking it up to the sled. A few minutes later, he was on his way back towards Gerudo Town. This isn't going to work, he thought, as he stared at the archway that led into the city. He'd unhitched his seal, 
leaving the sled leaning against the outer wall of the city, next to quite a few other sleds. The seals themselves lazed in the evening sun. They were well trained and would not wander far. A number of other people were heading into the city, though as he watched, one of the guards suddenly reached out, grabbing a man by his upturned hood. He had apparently been trying to sneak in with a small crowd entering now. Novo! She threw him to the sand, and her companion chuckled. Swallowing his fear, Link adjusted his blouse and glanced down to assure the padding wasn't showing. Satisfied that his costume was in order, he got in line to enter. As he approached, one of the women at the entrance glanced at him appraisingly, and then looked away. Feeling a sudden rush of relief, he continued past the guards. Wait! He froze, stiffening. He glanced over his shoulder to see one of the guards approaching, casually holding her spear against her shoulder. She looked him up and down before meeting his eyes. Where did you get that outfit? I like the coloring. Oh, oh! He quickly tried to mask his voice, raising his pitch higher than it likely needed to be. Down in the market. Um, bazaar. Who sold it to you? Link swallowed. Ronson had asked that she not be tied to this endeavor, but, well, he knew from previous experience that he really was a terrible liar. Ronson. Ah, maybe I'll go down there after I get off work and see her. The guard looked thoughtful for a moment, and then she focused on him again. Is this your first trip in the city? Yes, he said, trying to remain calm. Good. It's always good to see Nuvai. There is an inn right over there. She pointed to a building with a sign depicting a crescent moon over its door. And some very good restaurants down that side street there. I recommend the meat skewers. Oh, oh. Thanks. I'll try them. The Garuda woman smiled at him and nodded before turning back to resume her post at the entrance. And with that, he was in. He followed the flow of the crowd as it exited onto the city's main avenue. Shops lined the wide street, which was paved with brick on the sides, while the center, which was raised up a few inches, had decorative tile and gemstones that shone in the waiting sunlight. Palm trees and shallow pools of clear water lined the central walkway, and he saw that benches had been set up for people to sit and rest underneath the shade of the trees. Gerudo Town was a place of color and beauty. As he made his way down the street, Link saw street vendors selling various foods, stores that sold elaborate gold and silver jewelry with majestic gemstones, tailors that sold colorful clothing not unlike his own, cobblers that sold various styles of shoes and a dozen other types of shops. Most of the buildings were made of the same sandstone as the exterior wall, but they were adorned with colorful signs and gemstones to set them apart. Doorways and windows were lined with a rainbow of colors, and elaborately woven rugs covered the floors inside the buildings. At several places along the interior wall, the aqueduct that ran along the city walls made small waterfalls that fell into some kind of drainage system that ran underneath the ground, likely filling the pools of water along the central walkway. He couldn't remember ever seeing so many people in one place, even in his vague memories of Gerudo Town. While the other cities he'd visited would occasionally get crowded, Gerudo Town was a melting pot of people. Gerudo women of all shapes, sizes, and skin tones, from the very old to the very young, milled about, each of them bearing red hair of various shades. They were joined, however, by women of other races. He saw many Hylians like him, but he also saw a great number of Rito in the crowds. He also thought he saw some Sheikah mixed in, though it was difficult to tell. 
Oddly, he even saw a Goron. How did he get in? Link wondered, frowning as he watched the apparently male Goron interacting with one of the street vendors selling jewelry. Have I ever even seen a female Goron? A peal of raucous laughter drew his attention away from the Goron, and he turned to see several Gerudo women lounging on a couch in front of a restaurant, colorful drinks in hand. They appeared to have just finished a meal. Link continued on, feeling distinctly out of place. The city had a strangely boisterous air to it that he didn't think had anything to do with its all-women policy. The Zora, Rito, and Gorons had all, in some form, shown anxiety over their divine beast disruptions. The Rito had remained huddled in their homes and refused to fly. The Zora had become increasingly militant and distrusting of outsiders, and the Gorons had mostly retreated underground into their mountains. The Gerudo, it would seem, were perfectly content to act as though nothing at all was wrong. If you want to know the best place to get drinks, look nowhere else other than the Noble Canteen. One of the Gerudos stood by a branching street, grinning and waving at some of the foreigners in town. He could see the bar in question behind her, which was up on the second floor of a building. One of the walls was open, revealing a number of couches and women within. Little Hylian, would you like to feel younger and more alive than you ever have before? The voice caused Link to look around, spotting another Garuda woman looking right at him. She grinned broadly when they made eye contact. Come to Hotel Oasis. Enjoy your spa treatment. I shall give you a special rate. Oh, no, 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 thank you, he said, and then quickly hurried away. Somehow he didn't think his disguise would hold up under a spa treatment. The city was large, and its side streets were like a maze, each with its own alleys and shadowy corners. Thankfully, however, the main street formed a single line through the center of town, right to the foot of the palace. He made his way in that direction, hoping to avoid any more contact with the Garuda woman. As he ventured deeper into the city, he found that the buildings grew more elaborate and decorative. There were fewer street vendors and shops, but more of what appeared to be homes, some that had been painted with various colors. There was less bustle here, though quite a few people still walked on the roads. Few of them were foreign, however, and Link felt eyes on him as he made his way down the street. No one stopped him, however. He reached the palace after the sun had dipped below the buildings and walls surrounding him. Lanterns had been lit along the street and in front of most of the buildings. As he stepped up to the palace, he saw a woman use a long pole with a flaming tip to light a lantern on the exterior wall of the palace. Steps led up to the palace entrance, an open doorway lined with colorful mosaic of tile and the symbol of the Gerudo placed above it, and a pair of Gerudo stood on either side of the entrance, spears held at the ready. He hesitated, his eyes drawing up to the upper floor, where he'd landed earlier. He could just make out the chief's doorway over the lip of the staircase. Stealing himself, he looked up at the guards and began up the stairs. He raised a hand and in his best via voice said, Savota. The two Gerudo looked at each other and began to snicker. Link faltered, hand-lowering. Had he said it wrong? The correct greeting is Savsaba, one of the guards finally said. Her eyes crinkled above her veil with mirth. Unless where you come from, this would still be considered mourning. Oh, he said, cursing himself. Well, Savsaba. Savsaba, Eileen, the other guard said, 
What is a little thing like you doing here at this hour? Are you lost? Oh, no, I... Actually, I wanted to know if I could meet the chieftain. Both of the women at the door stood up a little straighter, looking at him with raised eyebrows. Lady Riju, why do you wish to speak with her? He'd worked this out, at least somewhat, with Ronson. I've just heard so much about her grace and beauty. I heard that she meets with outsiders from time to time, and I thought I would see if she would be willing to meet me. The two Gerudo relaxed some, though they still looked wary. Finally, one of them spoke up. Lady Riju is very busy with Gerudo matters, but she does hear from outsiders around midday. If you come back tomorrow, I am sure that you would have your chance then. Oh, of course. Blink had hoped, perhaps, for a more private meeting with her, but he'd known it was a stretch. Hopefully it would not be so crowded tomorrow that he didn't have the chance to speak with her. Little Vi, I hope you know that if you are planning on asking Lady Riju to grant your husband special access to the city, she will not grant such a request, the Gerudo said. I... I wasn't, he stammered. The two Gerudo looked at each other and then shrugged. If you say so, that is the most common request that foreign Vi bring before Lady Riju. Oh, I'm not even... I'm not married. No vote with me. He ended with a chuckle that sounded far too nervous to his own ears. Then you traveled here alone? The Gerudo asked, eyebrows raised. Link nodded, and the woman appeared to approve. Good. You, Hylian and Vi, are much too reliant on your vow most of the time. It's good to see one of you traveling of your own strength, despite your small size. And you carry a sword. I see. Are you a warrior? I, um, uh, a bit, Link said. Did she have to keep referring to his size? No, he wasn't as tall as one of the giant like Gerudo, but he wasn't that short, was he? Even better. Keep your steel sharp. These are difficult times for us all, but I am confident that our ancestors still watch over us. Oh, you have no idea, Link thought with a wry smile beneath the veil. Out loud, he said. I will. Thank you, um, ladies. The Gerudo nodded to her. Savok. Link responded in kind and proceeded back down the stairs, feeling frustrated but not surprised. He hadn't truly expected that the chief would meet with him in the middle of the evening, but he'd heard that she was willing to meet with the outsiders. And now he knew when. With that knowledge, he turned and made his way deeper into the city. If he wouldn't get his chance to see Lady Riju until the morning, then he might as well take in the sights while he could. He became aware of a pair of women tailing him some time later. He'd come out from the alley that he'd gotten lost in, glancing around and saw them. For a moment, the pair of women, who could have been either Sheikah or Hylian, looked surprised, though they quickly entered a jewelry shop. He almost didn't think anything of it, were it not for the fact that he caught sight of them leaving the shop and following after him, after he passed by. They were vaguely familiar, and he thought that he might have seen them at the entrance to the city. Someone had likely found him out, or worse. They weren't Gerudo guards, so he doubted it was due to his deception upon entering the city. The alternative, however, was even less desirable. It's not as though my entrance to the desert was exactly subtle, he thought, as he turned down another side street. 
He turned into another jewelry shop, stepping up to a pedestal that housed a beautiful sapphire circlet. It was actually very much like the one he'd seen Zelda wear in his memories. The Gerudo shopkeeper smiled and walked over to him, but he ignored her, watching the open doorway out of the corner of his eye. As expected, the pair of women stepped into a view a moment later, though they did not head for the jewelry shop. Instead, they went to the opposite side of the street, stepping into a cobbler's shop. Link waited for a few heartbeats before looking up at the shop owner and giving her a polite nod and a whispered, Savork. He went back outside and moved down the street in the direction he'd come. As he turned down another street, he caught sight of his pursuers exiting their shop and turning in his direction. That confirms it, he thought, pursing his lips. The women did not look particularly dangerous, but he knew all too well that looks could be deceiving among the Yiga. He continued to make his way deeper into the city, eventually coming out onto a large courtyard of sorts. Surprisingly, it was packed full of tents and a large number of Gerudo women and children. These did not wear the colorful clothing that the others wore, however, opting instead for more functional garments made from wool and other materials. Refugees, driven from their homes by the Divine Beast. He grunted in frustration. He'd hoped to find a deserted section of the city, and he hurried down another street. His pursuers continued to follow him, no longer bothering to pretend they weren't. They knew that he'd noticed them. Link turned down another street, and then down an alley. This alley was dark, and ended in a dead end some ways down. There was a noticeable pile of refuse at the end, including a large number of melon rinds for some reason. Water trickled down the wall, originating from a crack along its upper lip that allowed water from the aqueduct to escape. He glanced quickly around, but found only a door locked from the outside. No light shone out from underneath it, and he hoped that no one was on the other side. Satisfied that he was properly alone, he turned around to face the mouth of the alley, and waited. One of the women appeared a minute later, silhouetted by the moon. She stood at the alley's entrance, looking in at him. He couldn't see her face, but he thought she was smiling. For a few moments, they stared at each other, and then she reached into the pack at her waist, pulling out something round and concave. She placed it on her face. Yiga, Link said, not bothering to disguise his voice. She said nothing, but just stood in the alley watching him, waiting. A loud crack resounded through the alley. A white light burst in front of him, blinding him. He jumped back just as the other assassin appeared, swinging one of her curved sickles at Link's head and narrowly missing their target. He swore and continued to back away, his vision still impaired by the white after image left behind by the Yiga's flashbomb. He caught sight of movement out of the corner of his eye and ducked, thrusting a fist out. He caught the assassin in the stomach and heard her grunt. Still mostly blind, he swept out with his foot and tripped her. But before he could follow through, however, he heard running footsteps. Link rolled to the side, blinking rapidly as he stood and retreated. His vision was clearing though the afterimage still remained in the center. The alley seemed too dark, and the assassins seemed to move too quickly. He reached back, pulling the Master Sword free of its leather sheath. He discarded the wrappings on its hilt and held it at the ready. Both of the Yiga attacked. Link parried the first attack, which came high, and reached out grabbing the wrists of the second one, yanking her off balance. 
As she stumbled forward, he caught her neck with his arm and twisted, wrenching her around and into her companion. They both fell in a heap, and he struck, slamming his heel down onto one of their outstretched hands. Even though he had a slipper on, he still heard bones crunch. She grunted in pain. He kicked her sickle away. The other one had lost her blade when Link threw her. He stepped back, still holding the Master Sword at ready and staring at the pair of assassins on the ground. Slowly, the pair disentangled themselves rising up off the ground. Both had been disarmed, and neither seemed to have a second blade, though he wouldn't be surprised to find that they had managed to hide it somehow. One of their masks had broken, revealing the lower half of their face. Leave, he said, voice hard. I will kill you, if I must. They looked at each other, and then back at Link. Please go. He didn't want to kill. Not now. Not here in some back alley. Like a common street tough. Not when he didn't need to. They took a step back, and each as one threw something on the ground. The small objects exploded with a flash of fire and smoke. And when it cleared, the two Yiga were gone. Link remained still, waiting. After a few quiet minutes, however, he finally relaxed. He sheathed the Master Sword again and wrapped its hilts the best he could. It was sloppier than when Ronson did it, and he doubted it would fool anyone. At that moment, however, he didn't care. He stepped back out of the alley, looking around for anyone that might have been watching, but found no one. Satisfied that he was alone, he made his way back in the direction that he hoped the market in the main street was. He was eager to get out of the city.